Good morning. Happy Canada Day. Ironic that an American is preaching today on Canada Day, but my holiday is coming on the 4th, so I'll celebrate with, um, with Canada today as well. So thank you for joining us today. Um, we're going to be looking today at the Gospel of Luke, and most likely is a, a familiar story to most of you, uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. And yet what has kind of come together to craft this sermon today has been an ongoing conversation that I've been having with many people in our congregation, what does it mean to be a neighbor? And specifically, we've been looking, talking with our prayer care and social concern ministry team, of what does it look like to be a neighbor in this geographical place that VCBC sits? What does it mean to be praying for our neighbors? What could it look like for us to be engaged more meaningfully with our neighborhood? I had the chance a couple, um, not this past Saturday, but a week ago, to to help extend the playground at Moberly School. And that was just one, I believe, of how we have been praying and seeking and asking, God, how can we be meaningfully engaged? Last week you heard Hannah speak about English well and their mission statement of meeting the needs of people through teaching English. That is being a gospel neighbor. And one of the things that our PCS team in the fall is looking at doing is um, hosting a class of, of mercy and justice ministry. What does that look like? What are some of our worldviews that come in to shape that? And so be attentive to that in September. We're um, prayerfully looking at some different resources that could teach us what does it look like to be a neighbor of the gospel message. And so if you have your scripture, we'll also be looking here on the screen in a moment of, um, from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. But the Gospel of Luke in chapter 10 is divided up into two sections. The first half of that, chapter 10, actually talks about the message of what we typically think about of evangelism, sharing the word. And now we're going to be looking at what does it look like to respond in action to, to um to take the initiative to cross boundaries and overcome barriers to show his mercy by serving others. And so that's the story of the Good Samaritan. And so all throughout Scripture, it holds these two up in front of us, to be messengers of the word through our mouth and to be messengers through our actions. And often we camp out on one side or the other. Um, We tend to think more conservative Christians talk about ministry of the word of mouth and um, more liberal or less conservative Christians are more about social action. But the scripture does never, never divorces two. They are to be held up in unison and they go hand in glove, hand in hand together. So today we're going to be looking again at gospel neighboring. And so let's look at the text of Luke chapter 10 verses 25 through 37. I'm going to read read it. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, 
passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave, him, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So in today's message, like I've already said, we'll be looking at gospel neighboring, and we'll be exploring these four ideas in today's text. The mandate of gospel neighboring, what is required. The magnitude, what are the dimensions of it. The motivation, where do we get the dynamic for it. And then the method of gospel neighboring, how do we do it. So the mandate of gospel neighboring. So an expert of the law comes to Jesus. Now, this was a Jewish scholar, an expert in the law, and he asked him a question. And it tells us that this expert wanted to trap Jesus. Perhaps this man thought, well, here's a teacher who shows little respect for obeying law. After all, he hangs out with sinners and irreligious people. Let's hear what he has to say about eternal life. What does this man think is required for eternal life? And Jesus asks, um, he asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he may have expected Jesus to say something like, oh, you only have to believe in me, or some other statement that revealed that Jesus perhaps wasn't committed to the full obedience to God's word. Instead, Jesus responds by asking the man a question of, uh, by uh, an aside, a really good tactic when someone's trying to trap you, ask them a question back. And so Jesus models this. And he asks, what is written in the law? And then the man responds with these two summary commands, which most of us are familiar with. To love the Lord your God with all, all the heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love one's neighbor as oneself. And then Jesus replies and said, that's right. Do those and you will live. Just obey these two commands fully, and you live. And that's true. If we obey these two commands to their fullest, we will live. But let's pause for a moment and look at what kind of righteous life these two commands are actually after. Do you love God with every fiber of your being, every minute of the day? And do you love your neighbor with all the joy, speed, and force with which you meet your own needs? That is the kind of life that we owe God and our fellow human beings. God created us and sustains us and gives us breath for every single minute of every day. And he has given us everything, and therefore we owe him everything back in our fullest devotion. And if we can give God a life like that, then we will certainly merit eternal life. However, this, of course, was an impossibly high standard to live by, and that was the point. Jesus was showing the man that the perfect righteousness that the law demanded so that he could see that he was ultimately powerless to fulfill it. None of us can live up under that law. And so the law, it's, the scripture text tells us that the expert, this law expert, this scholar, was shaken 
and it shows that he wanted to justify himself. And so he was looking for this loophole to get out from underneath this this big mandate to love God fully and to meet all the needs of all of our neighbors. And so he asked back, basically, how do you define a neighbor? What do you mean by that? And surely you don't mean that I have to meet the needs of everyone, do you? And he just wanted to whittle this down to make it a little more achievable so that he could still keep his works righteous life intact. So Jesus goes on to tell him the story that we've already looked at in the Good Samaritan to answer his question. And this story illustrates the absolute core of who is my neighbor. The hero in this story meets the emotional, the physical, the financial, the medical, and the transformation needs of the man in need. And again, the story goes like this. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was riding through a mountainous remote area where he was robbed, beaten, and left in the road half dead. Good news, though, for the man, right? Because two men come by. First comes a Jewish priest, and then a Levite. And a Levite was one of the temple workers who actually assisted the priests in their duties. But unfortunately, they, they see the man in need, and they pass by on the other side possibly because it would have been very dangerous for them to stop on this desolate road in the region infested with highwaymen. It was a very notorious road, as you can see here in the the photo that's depicted in front of you, just kind of this barren um, place, this road that connected these two cities, Jerusalem and Jericho. And um, ironically, though, these two men, this priest and Levite, should have been people to stop and give the man aid because they were fellow Jews, And they were also religious leaders. But then a third man comes along the road, a Samaritan. And if you don't already know, but Samaritans and Jews were the bitterest of enemies. Samaritans were seen by Jews as racial half-breeds and religious heretics. So there was great, great animosity between these two groups of the Samaritans and the Jews. Yet the Samaritan man saw the man in the road as we've already mentioned, as did the priests and the Levite. But what is different here is the Samaritan saw the man, he took pity, he was moved with compassion, and he went to the man. The word pity in the text literally means to have the bowels yearn. Say today, gut-wrenching. And so when this Samaritan man sees this man in need, he identifies him, sees him, he has compassion, his gut-wrenching compassion, and he goes to meet the needs of the man. So what we have here is first an awareness of the need. You can see this um, line here. I'll also fail to mention that um, two books have actually informed a lot of what I'm sharing today that I've read in preparation for this class that we're looking at leading in the fall. One is a book called Generous Justice by Timothy Keller, and another one is um, Who is My Neighbor by Steve Moore. And Steve Moore actually, this is his um, diagram from his book that I'm going to be sharing right here. Um, so the Samaritan man sees, he takes pity, and he goes to the man. So he collects information, he has compassion, and then he takes action. Um, and his action was demonstrated by braving danger and stopping to give the wounded Jewish man emergency medical aid and then transporting him to an inn. So do you see the scope of the action that he took? He 
takes care of the man, the immediate need in front of him, and then he transports him, takes him to a place where he can get rest and recover, not just leaving him there, but then paying for any expense that the man might incur. And that perhaps would have been a substantial expense. Um, So with this story, Jesus gives a radical answer to the question of what does it mean to love my neighbor. And he illustrates the core of gospel neighboring with this mandate. We are to take the initiative to cross boundaries and overcome barriers to show his mercy by serving others. That is gospel neighboring. And the magnitude of it is quite enormous when we look at the the scope of it. Listen to how it reads from the message translation. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifted him onto his donkey, led him to an inn, and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take good care of him. If it costs any any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. Again, the Samaritan man met the physical, medical, transportation, and uh, financial needs of this man in spite of being a bitter enemy and at the risk of his own safety. He crossed boundaries and barriers in extraordinary ways. So surely Jesus isn't asking us to meet needs like this, (laughs) is he? I mean, again, the magnitude of that is quite large. So we often think that this magnitude is so big and I can't live up to that kind of expectation. And so for order for us to get out from underneath it, perhaps like the Jewish scholars asking here, like, well, can you tell me who is my neighbor? Who am I really responsible for here, God? And so we often try to limit our gospel neighboring to different excuses or different exit ramps that we might take. So let's go back to the diagram that we saw a moment ago. So again, the Samaritan man saw the Jewish man in need. He took pity on him, and he responded to the need by taking action. And so now let's consider how we often get sidetracked in this um, continuum here, where we might be um, tempted to take some exit ramps. So it's not hard for us to see needs all around us. I mean, we live in an Internet age. Many of you have smartphones right in front of you right now. If you don't know a word that I just said or you want to look up a commentary on this scripture, just can hit a button. Or if you're like, oh, I want to, what is a Samaritan? And you can go and do research and you can see immediately. We live in such an instant age of information and we live in a 24-7 news cycle. We are not lacking information of the entire needs of the world. The scope is actually large. So it's really not lack of information. Well, I just don't know about the people in need. How, again, we see it, we're not lacking information. It's often, too, not a lack of compassion that keeps us from responding. It's not unusual for me to watch the evening news or to read a ministry newsletter and for me to tear up with compassion and to actually feel something and feel like I need to respond to the need that I just have heard about or I know about. Nor is it unusual for me to walk in the downtown east even in the neighborhood that I actually live in and not be have some sense of empathy for the places where I live and, and walk in my daily life. So I don't think it's actually 
um, lack of information or compassion, we get sidetracked. I, the hurdle that I often come across or the barrier that I need is actually doing something about the information and the feelings that I have to need to respond. So um, taking action is where I often most get sidetracked, and my guess is that's where most of us get sidetracked. And so we begin to look for escapes to get out from underneath this mandate, these exit ramps. And so let's take a look at a few of these exit ramps. We try to limit the who. It is typical for us to associate our neighbors as being people of the same social class and means as us. We often care about people who are like us and for whom we like. So in our same social class, our same full of means, those are the people that we are, tend to most care about and for whom people whom we like. It's easy to respond to people's needs from whom we like. And actually, Jesus has none of that <laughs> attitude built into the gospel. And interestingly, by depicting a Samaritan helping a Jew, Jesus could not have found a more forceful way to say that anyone in need regardless of race, politics, class, and religion, is your neighbor. We are to cross boundaries to meet the needs of people. So we also limit the who. We try to limit the when. Typically, we don't mind helping when their situations are not their own fault. As long as they have not brought their situation upon themselves, we're more likely to want to help. For instance, if a um, earthquake were to hit the city of Vancouver and the west side was wiped out, and we go over to Jim and Monita's house because they live on the west side and their house was taken down, we're going to really be happy to help them because that disaster came upon no fault of their own. And so... Um, I'm moved with compassion over that because, wow, that just is out of their hands. However, am I as to go and help, let's say, the drunken father who can't pay his mortgage and they're being evicted? Well, that guy kind of brought that on himself. I mean, we have AA programs, and our church family came around them and tried to help them on numerous occasions, but he just squandered it away, and, you know, that's kind of, kind of brought that on himself. I'm much less likely to want to respond if so as long the people haven't contributed to their own destruction. Um, but again, the scripture doesn't actually teach us that that's at the heart of the gospel. We forget, don't we, that we ourselves do not have any upright moral character apart from Christ. The gospel itself reminds us that God demonstrates his own love towards us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jonathan Edwards, a well-known and influential minister and theologian in the 1700s, so taking you way back a few years, wrote in one of his sermons actually on the same parable from the Good Samaritan. He says, Christ loved us and was kind to us and was willing to relieve us, though we were very hateful persons of an evil disposition not deserving of any good. So we should be willing to be kind to those who are very undeserving. Thirdly, we often try to limit the how much. I often hear myself saying things like this, and do you say these same things? 
Uh, you know, I really don't have a whole lot of extra money to spare. Um, I barely have enough to meet my own needs. I mean, gee, um, Vancouver's a very expensive city to live in. Um, have you noticed the cost of living is going up? I don't have a whole lot of extra money um, to meet the needs of other people. One of the main lessons of the Good Samaritan parable is that real love entails risk and sacrifice. When the Samaritan stops, he is risking his own safety. I mean, do you need any more evidence? He's risking his own safety. The man in front of him was just beaten by robbers. The robbers could be standing nearby ready to jump the Samaritan man as well. And he risks his own safety. Um, And yet... I often say, well, I can't do that. I can't help anyone. I can't help anyone without burdening myself or cutting in to how I live my life. And that's actually the point. Again, in his sermon on Samaritan Edwards writes, if we are never obliged to relieve others' burdens, but only when we can do it without burdening ourselves, then how do we bear our neighbor's burdens when we bear no burden at all. Scripture instructs us, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And that's from Galatians 6.2. So in spite of our objections, excuses, and the exit ramps we often take to escape the magnitude of God's mandate, we are to help people whom we hate. We are to help people who have brought their own destruction on themselves, and we are to help people even when the burden falls on me. Okay, so we get the, the mandate and the magnitude, so how do we actually move to action? How do we follow this mandate of taking the initiative to cross boundaries and overcome barriers to show his mercy by serving others? Where do we find the motivation to live life like this? One way, and pastors are famous for this one, we try to motivate people as appealing to a person's morality, whether that's their civic duty or their religious um, responsibility. So I could stand up here today and, and share with you and cajole you and show you pictures of desperate people, people or tell you desperate stories of people in need. I can evoke guilt and give a charge to us today that all of us should be responding to be good neighbors. I mean, it goes like this. You have so much. They have so little. It is our duty, our responsibility. The scripture teaches it. There's a biblical mandate for it. And so let's all rally together and respond. However, guilt really won't take us very far. So if you're feeling guilty today... Stop, because it won't take you to the places where Jesus wants us to go. One of the great twists that Jesus gave to this story was the placement of the Jewish man in the story. Now, remember, it was a Jewish scholar asking the question, who is my neighbor? Jesus was clever to place a Jewish man to be the one in need. In other words, Jesus was asking the Jewish scholar to consider, what would it be like to be the one in the middle of the road, naked, left for dead, with no hope unless the Samaritan came and stopped and helped. Jesus was saying something like this. What if your only hope was to get ministry from someone who not only did not owe you any help, but who actually owed you the opposite? 
What if your only hope was to get free grace from someone who had every justification based on your relationship to him to trample you? And so Jesus ended the story with the question, who was the neighbor to the man in the road? The law expert must admit the one who showed mercy. Interestingly, he couldn't even say the word Samaritan, or at least it's not written here in Scripture. He's like, "Uh, yeah, that guy who showed mercy. It was only then that Jesus said, go and do likewise. Before we can love our neighbors, we need to receive it. Only if you see that you've been saved graciously by someone who owes you the opposite will you go out into the world looking to help absolutely anyone in need. Once we receive this radical neighbor love through Jesus, we can start to be the neighbors the Bible calls us to be. So where do we get that radical neighbor love? Jesus came into the world. He came into our road. He had compassion on us. It cost his life. And if we see Jesus as our good Samaritan, as our radical neighbor, then we can do this kind of radical neighbor uh, messaging. So the method, so quickly I'll go through how, how can we actually do this, the method of gospel neighboring. First, we need to re-neighbor ourselves. All, again, all three men saw the man in need. It wasn't that they didn't see, but not all three actually were able to respond. The Samaritan was the only one that took action and went and actually had physical, personal contact with the man. Ask ourselves where we are on the, the line that we've already looked at on that continuum. Are we even able to see people's needs around us? You may need to begin by asking God, open my eyes. I walk through the same neighborhoods every day, and sometimes I see the same people every day. And I need to reset the spirit of God in me to ask God, show me again. Awaken my spirit to the needs that are around me. And ask ourselves, are we taking any of these exit ramps of the who, when, and the how much? And what excuses are we using to keep us from action? Secondly, we need to reweave the message into neighboring. Jesus weaves concern for the body and concerns for the soul together. Sharing the gospel message and being a gospel neighbor are the same. Again, it's words, what we traditionally think of evangelism, sharing our faith, but it's also meeting the needs of people. We need to weave the two of those together again. They go hand in hand. And then thirdly, we need to repent for our prejudices and our racism. The Samaritan had to lay down all kinds of prejudices and racism to cross a huge boundary to respond to this Jewish man in need. We need to sincerely ask the Spirit of God, are there things in us, prejudices to different groups of people or different positions that people are in that are that are serving as barriers to us from taking this gospel. And we actually need to confess those things, and we need to repent of them. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward now. We're going to end with a song, um, Amazing Love. The chorus of the song says, Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you. In all I do, I honor you. 
Let us humbly receive the mercy that Jesus offers us. He offers it us in the name of Jesus, our good Samaritan.